This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. This is the Learn Jazz Standards Podcast, episode 98. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. All right, what's up, everybody? My name is Brent. I am the jazz musician behind the website LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog and a podcast all geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. Welcome if this is your first time ever listening to the show. And if you are a regular listener, I want to thank you for being here week after week, listening to me talk, hanging out with me. And, uh, you know, to return the favor, I just want to give you as much value as I possibly can today. So for today's episode 98, I've got an incredibly special guest on the show. We haven't had a guest on for the last several episodes, and so I'm excited to bring on someone who uh, means a lot to me. I'll tell you why in a second, but I'm really excited because this episode offers a lot of value. I mean, this is a really value-packed episode that I think is one of my favorite episodes that we've had in a while, and I really, uh, I really can't wait to share this with you. It's a little bit of a longer episode today, but I don't want you to miss a single minute of this episode because I believe this stuff is that important. And my special guest today is none other than my older brother, Matt Varstra. Yeah, that is right. I am bringing on my older brother onto the show, and today he's going to talk to us all about the mindset training your brain towards positivity so that it can affect your music and give you ultimately musical freedom. This is incredibly important. My brother, he has a PhD in sports and performing psychology. I mean, this guy is brilliant. He's a teacher and uh, man, he just lays down the good word today and I really um, appreciate it. And you know, when I was first inspired to have him on the show, um, it's because I've actually mentioned him multiple times on this podcast over the last few years uh, in the past talking about uh, his idea of personal records and how in high school when he was on the track team, he always was really concerned about his personal record over and above competing and beating out every everybody else. And I remember being so inspired by that as a kid. And that really helped me when I got a little bit older and tried to start framing my mind and training my mind to think more that way. But in today's episode, we talk about that kind of stuff. We talk about the entire spectrum, how important the brain game is when it comes to becoming a better musician, becoming a better professional former in general. And really when it comes down to it, it you know, it could be you know, the, the mental side of the, all of this really can can make up at least 50% of your success. If you're in, trained with negative thoughts, if you're thinking negatively, it can severely affect your progress in the practice room or your performance on the gig or the jam session. So this is really important stuff. I want you to listen to this. And you know, over the last month here, the month of January, the, kind of the unofficial theme of this month has been productivity and goal setting and you know achievement. And um, so this episode just really ties in really well for all of this. Now you can find the show notes today at learnjazzstandards.com forward slash episode 98. But without further ado, let's get on my older brother, Matt Vartstra. 
All right, welcoming on the show today is uh, he has a PhD in sports psychology. He is a video game enthusiast. He is a hockey nerd, uh, among many other things. But he's also uh, my older brother, so I'm very proud to welcome onto the show Matt Vartstra. Matt, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Happy to be here. Um, looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, you know, and I thought long and hard about having you on the show because, uh, you know, it, in my childhood, I, I, you know, I still see therapists on a daily, uh, you know, weekly, <laughs> weekly, just because of all the, you know, older brother stuff that, you know, destroying my Lego towers and just a lot trauma. of stuff. A lot, trauma, yeah, a lot of trauma. Sure. Yeah, a lot of trauma I've been dealing with. Uh, <laughs> so, but you know, at the end of the day, I was like, you know, we got to, we got to get this guy on here. But especially because, actually, and I, I said this in the intro to the show. Uh, you know, I you I've used you as multiple multiple times for examples of setting personal records, and I've mentioned. And I just thought, man, I need to get my my older brother on the show because you know so much about this stuff, and uh, you have a PhD in sports psychology. So, uh, I mean, you have so much to offer on this subject. But I thought, you know, just uh, you know, you, everybody knows you're my brother now. But w- let's find out what you're all about. So if you wouldn't mind just uh, telling the audience, you know, what's your one minute Matt Vartstra bio, what, what you do, what you're all about, what gets you going? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, currently, I'm the assistant director for career services um, with the University of Idaho Career Services Office. Um, so I've been working with them on and off for for quite some time. Um, was uh, working with them during my PhD, um, like you mentioned, PhD in sports psychology. Got that at the University of Idaho. Uh, while I was uh, while I was getting my PhD, I was also um, doing uh, my working at the career services office, and what I ended up doing for my dissertation was actually comboing those things together into uh, working with student athletes on career development related issues, um, uh, as well as uh, consulting with student athletes on performance related topics, mental training, mental skills, um, from a sports psychology perspective. And so, being able to kind of combo those together and work in career services while still helping student athletes um, uh, on on performance related issues, uh, as well as uh, finding career options. And, and being successful uh, in the performance environment that is job searching and finding a career um, has been kind of my focal point over the past few years. So what, what got you into the whole sports uh, psychology department in the first place? You know, because I know I know because I, I know you that you started out in like chemistry when you started you know, college. Uh, right. You're you following in our father's footsteps. But then you made this change. So like what what excites you about it? What made you like excited to go into this direction and, and start learning about that? Yeah, no, gr- great question. Um, and uh, uh, to to keep the story uh, shorter rather than longer, um, <laughs> I, I was I was a, I was a chemistry major, then I was an engineering major for a little while. Right. Yeah. Um, and and I I really uh, I was good at it, um, but uh, it wasn't I wasn't passionate about it. Um, and so I started searching for something that I was passionate about, something that I really cared about. Um, and. And, and I stumbled across it, one of the degrees that was available was this, this sports science degree with an emphasis in sports psychology. And I was like, What's, what is sports psychology? I had no idea what it was at the time when I was a freshman in my undergrad uh, and, and discovered that that was uh, a really an area of interest for me. I had taken some psychology courses, really liked the concept of uh, what psychologists do um, in the helping realm of that, uh, finding out what makes people tick and how to maximize that, uh, and then finding out there was a sports side, a performance side to that. Um, how do we maximize human 
performance from a mental standpoint rather than just a physical standpoint uh, was really fascinating. Uh, one of the ways that I that I sell sports psychology, performance psychology to people is uh, I ask them, what percentage of your performance do you think is mentally based? And you can ask anyone this question. It can be uh, a sports performer. It can be uh, a musician. It could be a dancer. It could be uh, anyone who's in a performance environment. Um, what percentage of your performance do you think is mental rather than physical? Um, and, and the answer typically for athletes anyway is anywhere from 50% to 90% is mental. Yeah. And then you follow up with this question. Well, what, what percent of your time do you spend practicing your mental skills as opposed to your physical skills? And the answer is almost always, well, 100% of my time is spent physically practicing. But you just told me that anywhere from 50 to 90% of your performance is based on your mental skills. So there's, the, there's a disconnect with a lot of performers between they're training the physical side, which is clearly very important. But then they're not training the mental side, which they're telling me is is at least equivalently important to their physical training uh, in performance. And so um, that was uh, that has fascinated me the the dichotomy between physical training and mental training, and how people tend to spend all their time focused on physical training when you know inherently that the things is very important. And so uh, getting people to start thinking about well. How much time should I actually maybe redirect away from physical training into mental training um, is something that uh, I think helped to drive me down the path towards uh, sports psychology and performance psychology. Awesome. And I, and I remember actually the first time you explained to me, like, you know, you're doing sports psychology, like, what's, what's sports psychology? That's so weird. And you're, you're talking to me about it and, and, you know, basically everything you just said just now. And I remember <laughs> thinking to myself, uh, why don't musicians have, you know, psychologists? Like, why isn't this a thing? And it is, it's performance psychology, but, uh, right. you know, why isn't it like an actual, like, thing? You know, why aren't, I guess probably because, you know, musicians are, they can't pay for it. So, I mean, unless it's some, like, big organization. <laughs> that's going on a quick question so how do you how do you get a jazz musician to get a million dollars i don't know the answer to that question you got to start with two million dollars <laughs> um yeah so so yeah, that's a, yeah that's such a corny joke um I, i'm sure some there's, there's so many of those weird jokes um anyways like you know when i first heard about this i'm like oh my gosh like i I have this problem all the time, and it's not just me. Uh, so many musicians uh, have this exact same problem that anyone who has to perform, whether it's in athletics, uh, whether it's in the fine arts, whether it's in dancing, like you said, or or music, whatever it is, it's such a big psychological game. And I, I have definitely been in the position many times where... If my head's not in the right space, if I'm not prepared to uh, uh, to be in a, in a to be in a positive space for for my playing, what I'm about to do, uh, and what I'm trying to achieve, things can easily go south. Or, or even if I'm too worried about what I actually want to accomplish or or, or play as a musician, it can completely uh, it can completely ruin my time. Um, but the best music that I've ever played has been when I came from this place of confidence, this place of uh, relaxation, rather than tension up, you know, relaxing. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's an amazing thing what you said is, you know, how much time do you spend 
uh, working on the physical stuff. And musicians are the same way as athletes in that, you know, we work on physical technique and skills and uh, learning repertoire, doing all this stuff. But we don't really ever spend time actually working on the other side, that that nagging voice in the back that's working. So that's why I'm, I'm especially excited to have you on here because, uh, man, you just have so much to talk about with this. Um, so moving on from this a little bit, um, we'll, we're still on the same topic here, but what are some of the main psychological barriers that, that are causing poor performance that you're seeing in athletes and maybe that can go along with uh, musicians as well? Yeah, I think, I think this, uh, this particular uh, question is something that people ask a lot. Um, and I think that it's highly individual. Um, everyone comes to the table with their own, uh, strengths, their own weaknesses and their own kind of propensity to, um, be, be good at certain parts of the mental performance aspects of things and to, and to maybe suffer from some other things that that voice in the back of your head can be very positive or very negative, depending on how your self-talk is and the types of things that you say to yourself and the, and the, the place that you come from when you're, uh, when you're headed into a performance environment. Um, and so it really does become highly individual, but I think, uh, Traditionally speaking, um, a lot of the the standard kind of barriers that you'll run into in a performance environment um, are are things like lack of focus, uh, and and there's lots of great ways to address things like that. Um, goal setting is one of the big ways that that you can address a lack of focus, and that that's can be focused during training um, when you're practicing. If you find that you're just going through the motions, obviously you're not going to get the most out of that, even during the physical components of training. Um, and so you can set goals to be more on task and to be more present um, during those types of things. Um, and, and I think that um, that self-talk is another really big area that becomes a barrier. I think a lot of people's natural tendency uh, is to have that the voice in the back of their head that has a more negative tone to it. Um, it's more debilitating than it is facilitative, and I think the way to combat that is to is to practice positive self-talk, to practice uh, saying the things to yourself that put you into a positive place. Um, there, everyone has so many positive characteristics, positive qualities, strengths. And the tendency is not to, to talk about those things to yourself, not to think about those things with yourself. There's a, there's a tendency in a lot of people to focus on the flaws, the weaknesses, um, the things that could go wrong. When you focus on those things, the propensity for those things to happen becomes increased. Things probably are going to go wrong because you're thinking about the things that are going to go wrong. Um, you're going to trend into that direction. Uh, and so when you can change your self-talk, when you can change the way that you think about things to a more positive framework, I think that's uh, one of the one of the big issues that people have, one of the barriers, and and and, and there's a relatively easy solution to it too, uh, is is to change your self talk, uh, and that's not not to say that changing your self talk is something that happens overnight, but it is something that you can do over time without having to invest uh, major shifts in your life. Um, it's it's small changes that you can make to the way you think um, that can really change things in the long run for you. So how does that in real, you know, how do we actually apply that? You know, so I'm, I'm actually, as you're saying this, I'm thinking about, you know, a few years ago, I uh, played with a group and it, funnily enough, uh, one, of the, one of the musicians, he's actually the band leader and uh, he 
I, he was a little bit, uh, you know, maybe a little bit behind in skill level with some of the other musicians that that were playing in the band. Um, but he, he had hired us because he wanted to play with us, and you know, and it, it was a lot of fun. We had a great time. Uh, none of us had any problem with the way he played or anything like that. But um, you know, I think he had a lot of this negative self talk going on, and like <laughs> got really inside of his head. You know, really self conscious, all these things, and all things that I can personally relate to too. But I think for him, it went to this very big extreme um, where. You know, he was actually making up excuses for why he couldn't make it this week and why to send a sub mm. or even sometimes last minute bailing that, that just didn't make sense. And, I, and a lot of us in the band kind of realized, I, I think he's I think he just is like he's not he, he's getting overwhelmed he, and he doesn't. Yeah. You know, he feels like he, he's anxious and he's stressed about mm-hmm. this situation. Um how can someone like that who maybe is in, you know, everybody has a different maybe it's someone in that kind of extreme or maybe it's you know somewhere in the middle. Sure. How can someone actually start practicing this, like this, you know, positive self-talk? You know, is there a, a time of day you set, a, you know, a time of the day you set aside? Is like, how does this work? Yeah, yeah, uh, great question. And uh, um, <laughs> coming from from an, a- an academic standpoint, uh, we we could teach entire courses on on how to properly manage self-talk. And I have um, taught several courses uh, that uh, a large component of it has been self-talk. Um, a couple tips for your for your listeners um, would, would uh, regarding self talk. There's two really big things uh, I think that come into play here um, that you can actually engage in what, in what I would call mental training um, in, in order to enhance your self talk. Um, the first one um, is a little bit more involved, um, and and some people can it feels hokey sometimes when people do it. Um, but I, but I, I can I can I don't always guarantee, but I nearly guarantee um, that it will enhance your your self talk to a more positive level. And that's writing a self talk script. Um, I've encouraged athletes to do this, other performers to do this. Um, and, and, and essentially what a self-talk script is, is, uh, you sit down and you actually like, like type out, write out. Some people will even verbally like record it and, and listen to it. Um, so that they hear themselves saying it to themselves. Um, that's something that, that works for some people. Again, you have to find what works for you. A self-talk script really comprises um, what are the key things that you want to remind yourself of? What are the key things that you want to say to yourself on a regular basis? And it doesn't even have to be specific to performance. Um, sometimes, you know, it depends on the person, but sometimes people get stressed out or, or get into a, a bad mindset or, or a negative uh, self-talk spiral because of what's going on outside of, of their life. It could be something going on at home, and then they're coming into a performance thinking about something mm-hmm. And so self-talk scripts are remind yourself of your strengths, um, remind yourself of all the time that you spent practicing, uh, remind yourself of moments when you felt really great about your performances, put yourself into that space where um, you remember how it felt to perform really well. Uh, use a, Develop a self-talk, self-talk script that will get you into that mindset. Um, and there's a lot of different ways to, to create self-talk strips, and really it comes down to what works best for the particular individual. Um, but a lot of it is about affirmation. A lot of it is about uh, reframing sometimes. Sometimes you pick up on the types of negative thoughts that you have on a regular basis, and so then your self-talk script might include things that reframe those into a more positive light. Um, th- those are all potential um, components to this self-talk script, and so then you can uh, start to read this self-talk script yourself, listen to this self-talk script um, to you, uh, being read to you by yourself, as a lot of the times what people do. Some people put inspirational quotes into a self-talk script. Um, I find that I like to read them in the morning. Uh, that's me personally. Uh, I tend to wake up 
the, the most negative time during my day is waking up in the morning for whatever reason. That's when that's when I have the most negative thoughts. And so if I then can read myself talk script in the morning, uh, listen to it uh, on the way to work in the car, uh, there's a lot of different options that actually don't take up any time. I'm going to be sitting in the car anyway, right? Um, and so then that's a great space to do it in. And you can again find, find out when works for you um, for that self-talk script. But you'll find that as you listen to that, uh, it, it, number one, it puts you in a good mood. Um, and number two, it sets yourself up to think that way on a more regular basis, right? Yeah. And you know, it's uh, what I love about what you're saying is you're talking about these, the affirmations and the power that it can have by writing them down. And, and you're talking about writing them down or recording them Correct. one or the other so that you're, you're, you're hearing that stuff. And one really cool yeah. thing is I picked up this journal, uh, sometime last year called the five minute journal. Uh, and if you just Google that, you can find that and I'll link that today in the show notes. Um, the five minute journal, it's really cool. And I have to be honest, I haven't like kept up with it, uh, as well as I would like to, uh, sometimes I do it, sometimes I don't. But the one thing I like to share of it is that that um, basically it's kind of cool. So in the morning you're supposed to, it's literally supposed to take five minutes of your day to do this. So like the first thing mm-hmm. is uh, in the day you're supposed to answer, you know, what are you grateful for? You write down something that you're grateful for. And the second thing is you, what would make today great? So you answer, you know, what would make today great? You know, whatever that is, whether you're, uh, it's in your musical challenges or your daily life challenges, whatever it could be. And the last one is uh, a daily affirmation. Like I am fill in the blank. And I started yeah. doing that and I thought that was a very powerful um, tool to do again, like feeling ashamed that I don't keep up with it as well. Cause it's a great practice. Now, a great thing is at night you're supposed to, uh, you know, list like three amazing things that happened today. And then the last is how could I've made today better? So kind of like a reflection sort yeah. of a thing. Um, it's a really yeah. cool journal, the five minute journal, but, um, Anyways, I just totally resonate with what you're saying there. And one other thing that caught my ear that I'd like to go back to really quick is, uh, you were just talking about how we tend to sometimes as human beings, we go to like the negative, uh, the negative things. And for musicians, mm-hmm. that happens all the time. You, you're you're going to start thinking about all uh, the negative, you know, I, you know, biffed it on that line. I biffed mm-hmm. it on that. So it sounded terrible. I got lost. You know, I got, I felt, I feel ashamed, but you know, you think about those things that happened that the poor times that happened and the things that you're not good enough at yet, but you forget to think about the things you're good uh, enough at. And, uh, in the blogging podcasting world, um, someone I follow named Pat Flynn, uh, once said that, you know, you know, because you, you, sometimes you get trolls that want to say negative things to you, and uh, basically right. saying that one negative comment is greater than 100 positive comments, and it's so true. Like you know, if you get a lot of people saying, "Oh, that was awesome," I really appreciate what you're doing, but then one person is like, "That was terrible." That's all you think about, and it goes the same with music. Uh, thinking about music and uh, you know your your abilities, you know, one terrible thing might have happened, or you know, not exactly what you wanted to happen in your music and your playing. But then you forget about all the awesome moments that did happen or the things right. that you are good at and that you are building up. Anyways, uh, I just wanted to share that. I mean, what, what do you think about that whole, uh, you know, one negative to 100? Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't know, you know numbers wise if, if there's anything to that. But I think the the, the premise is absolutely correct. Um, right. and, and imagine how much more impactful that is when it's your own thoughts when it's someone else saying it to you, that's one thing, um, and and definitely that's true in the world today. Uh, remember how much more impactful that can be when it's yourself saying it to you. When when you know there's been a hundred good things that have happened to you during a particular performance, and then you you if you if you focus in on that one thing, and you yourself are the person telling yourself that that was terrible, and that's all you're remembering from that performance. Um, that's I feel like that's. E- 
for me anyway, that'd be even more powerful to, to be self-inflicting that on yourself. Um, so I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a second, my second piece of advice, my second tip for self-talk. Okay. Um, and that I call it the three D's. Um, it's, it's detect, mm. disrupt and dispute. Um, so the, the first one, um, detect is in this takes practice. You have to, you have to detect and figure out when you have negative thoughts. Um, when is it, uh, that you start thinking negatively, uh, and and this is more of a reactive self-talk mechanism. The self-talk script is more proactive. You're trying to set yourself up for success with the script. Uh, the three Ds is more reactive. Y- you've already started having negative thoughts. So number one, you have to detect when you have negative thoughts, um, and, and that's challenging because usually it's so ingrained in you that it's an automatic process. You start thinking negatively because that's what you've always done, uh, and so this takes a lot of skill and it takes a lot of t- dedicated time to figure out. Uh, and and sometimes it's reflective, like your journal. Uh, it, when was it that I started thinking negatively today? Like what 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 set me off? Um, and start to figure out when those times are, uh, and and get good at detecting when negative thinking starts to happen. Once you've been able to start detecting when negative thoughts start to happen, then you have to disrupt those negative thoughts. Um, I've had athletes that I've worked with that will do something physical. Um, I had a, I had a basketball player I worked with once who who, who would slap the ground um, to, to disrupt his negative thoughts. If, and it was, it was really, it was fun because I would watch him during a game, uh, and he'd miss a shot and I'd see him slap the ground as he's headed back in the other direction. I knew exactly what he was doing. I knew that he'd missed the shot and I knew that he'd started thinking negatively as a result of that. And he was like, no, I don't want to think negatively. And he, you know, some people will clap, snap, um, a physical action attributed to a disruption, um, to stop that thought. Um, I had a football player once who would put his hand out in like a halt motion um, because that's what he wanted to do as his physical disruption mechanism to stop his negative thinking. And then the last piece is, of course, is probably the most crucial piece of that, um, and that's dispute. Um, And this is where you start to use some of those positive self-talk things uh, from your script even maybe uh, to to reframe your negative thoughts. Um, And again, I use athletes as as an example a lot. The the basketball player who would miss the shot, um, you could think about – um, oh man, like that. Well, that was terrible. I shouldn't have taken that shot. I should have passed the ball. You get into negative thinking patterns: the should'ves, the would'ves, the could'ves, um, the I suck at this, I suck at that type of thinking. Um, don't that when you get to this point of, of trying to dispute your negative thoughts, um, it's like, oh, you know what? Like, uh, I chose to shoot the ball there. Maybe next time I should be aware of of what my passing options are. Um, I you know, and so you start to think about well, how can I take that and frame it into a more positive opportunity. A lot of it becomes learning opportunities, being okay with a mistake because it allows you to learn and translating that into how you dispute your, your self-talk patterns. Um, so the three D's are another way to kind of reactive, reactively address any self-talk issues that you run into, those negative thoughts that start to come up. Awesome. So number two is the three D's. And what was, can you say what number one was again? Yeah. So detect. So detect your negative thoughts, dispute, uh, or sorry, disrupt. So detect, disrupt and then dispute okay awesome that's so cool um well i want to switch gears just a little bit um and i want to talk about something 
uh, I want to talk about competition for a second here because in sports, yeah. which is where most of your uh, work and experience has fallen in, it's really centered around competition and music. Uh, I've given before on this show. I've given my uh, philosophy on music. I don't believe that music should be uh, a competitive event. I really don't think it should be. I don't think that's. Uh, I don't think that's what music is for. I don't think that's what mm-hmm. is needed in in it to make better art. Um, but oftentimes in music there, there is a lot of competition and that usually comes in the form of comparing yourself to somebody else, whether you're comparing your progress to someone else's progress, whether you're comparing your actual ability to someone else's, uh, ability. And so I, here's a question for you. What, what do you think some of like the pitfalls or, or even advantages to a competitive spirit, uh, in music or, or really in any kind of performance kind of a, a thing are? Yeah. Um, great question. I, I think that, um, I, you'll, I, I say this a lot to a lot of different people. It's, it's individual. Some people thrive in a competitive environment. Um, some people, uh, use that to fuel themselves and to become better. Uh, and, and that's positive. Um, and that's what can result positively from a competitive environment, both in sport and outside of sport. Um, and then there's other people who are going to respond to competition. Uh, it's a threat. Um, it's uh, it's not a challenge. Uh, it, it becomes something that where there's there's a comparison, and if the comparison doesn't fall in your favor, it's failure in your eyes, and and then th- that becomes very negative and can set off all the negative self talk stuff that we just talked about. Um, and so I think it depends on your interpretation of that competition. Um, and in sport, it's inherent. It's inherent, right? In sport, the whole point is to compete. The whole point is there's going to be a winner and a loser at the end of the day. Um, and I think that becomes much more challenging to kind of get out of a competitive mindset. And I feel like in other performance environments, and for musicians in particular, because I agree with you in that there doesn't need to be a competitive environment in music. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, and that's where I think we, we start to focus in on something that I know you've talked about before in, in your podcast is, uh, is being personally being your best, um, holding yourself to your own standards and not holding yourself to other people's standards. Uh, and so regardless of the competitive environment, I think that, uh, striving to be personally the best, uh, is really where you want to take that, uh, and again, some people really thrive off of comparison to other people, and and they can use that. My argument would be that that's not true for the majority of people. Most people right. are going to be more successful if they're comparing themselves to themselves and making sure that uh, this performance is better than my last performance. Right, um, absolutely. Yeah, and that's definitely where I fall in line. And actually, on this particular top topic of you know personal records is actually kind of where, and I, I've already said this in. Uh, the intro of the show, but you know, it's it's kind of where I first was inspired to think about you of, of having you on the show, um, you know, because I, the story I've, I've told on the podcast over the last few years now is that you know in high school I always got this sense, you know, when you were on the track team that you were really concerned about your personal record, and you really seemed to de-emphasize. The idea of winning, not that you, I'm not saying you didn't want to win or that you didn't want to mm-hmm. at least place well, like I'm sure there's competitive spirit there, but I felt like you're more competitive with yourself more than anything else, which was the opposite of me. I actually remember when I was doing track and sometimes we'd be at the same track meets. I mean, I was like, you know, younger mm-hmm. than you, but we had the same track meets. And for me, 
it was the most stressful, gut-wrenching thing because I was so overwhelmingly concerned about winning or placing well in the race or whatever it was, the event I was doing, that it consumed me to the point where I don't believe that I performed even at half of the potential. I really do believe that. I don't think I performed at even half the potential because I was more worried about, I wasn't worried about, am I going to do better than I did last time? No, I was worried about, am I going to do better than that guy? <laughs> right. And so for me, I would definitely like fit into that category of people that do not perform as well. So here, so what, what in, you know, going back to our child here, childhood here for a second, you know, what, what set that into your mind to think that way? Yeah. Um, and part and parcel of that is, is, uh, it really is just track and field as a sport is really conducive to personal records, personal bests. Um, right. it's easy within that particular sport to develop that mindset. And I think a lot of track athletes actually do develop that mindset because of that environment. Um, you can strive to be, uh, you know, I was a long jumper and a triple jumper and it was always like, how, how many more inches can I get on my previous best? Um, and I think that just inherently developed in me. Um, and I, th I think that became really critical. Uh, you, you mentioned how you felt like you didn't perform nearly to your best capacity because you were constantly focused on other people. And I never, I never had to feel that way um, because I was always focused on, uh, you know, how, how can I become uh, – how can I jump two inches further than I jumped the previous uh, in practice right. even or the previous meet? Um, so that inherently was easy to do. Um, and I think it, it just becomes so important because in sports psychology and in performance psychology, we talk about attributions a lot. Um, and when, and when you start to attribute things to things that are outside of your control, then you become less likely to want to train. You become less likely to want to work on things. You become less likely to learn from your mistakes because it's, it's, Oh, like the reason that I didn't win or the reason I didn't perform well is because that guy did better than me, but mm -hmm. you have no control over how that guy performs. You have no, you have no control over how well he played on that given day. Um, and, and so then if you start to attribute your success or failure based on someone else, then you're not going to, put yourself into a mindset that allows you to go back and, and view it from a positive light and say, Oh, actually, cause the, the most interesting part about that to me is if you're, if you're one of the people who attributes all of your success or failure to somebody else, or if you're one of the people who all you do is compare yourself to other people, you could have the best performance of your life. And if the guy playing next to you performed better than you, all you're going to focus on is the fact that you weren't as good as him. Yeah. But you could have yeah. just had the best performance of your life, and 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 you could miss it. You could miss that fact because you're constantly thinking about what other people are doing. Um, and again, in sport, you're all you're, it's, it always comes back to that the competitive part. And and did you do better than that that other person? Uh, that's going to be a baseline in sport all the time. And I think the beauty of of music and of, of that industry is you, you don't have to do that. There's, there's nothing that states, um, that you win or lose, uh, in music based on whether you perform better than somebody else. Uh, and I think that, um, this, this conversation naturally kind of leads into something that I'm really passionate about, which is mindsets. Uh, and, and I think, uh, and I, th I want to say that one of your past, um, uh, guests on your show has actually talked about mindsets before. Um, and so we have this, these two things called a fixed versus a growth mindset. Uh, mm. and, and the people who are in the fixed mindset realm, uh, kind of believe that there's a, there's a set 
skill level. Um, you were born with this this inherent ability, and and it taps out, and it can't get any better than that. Uh, and and that leads a lot to comparison. They start to compare. Well, if I'm not as good as this person, then I'm I'm a lower skill level, and I can never be better than them. Uh, and 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 then you're you don't train lose focus, negative self-talk, and all those negative things. And if you're in the growth mindset side of things, you you believe that skill is something you can grow. Skill is something you can cultivate. Um, failure is not a big deal for people in the growth mindset because they take it as a learning opportunity. Like, oh man, like, okay, yeah, so that didn't go well. Well, well what can I change? What can I do differently to improve my skill? Uh, whereas people that are stuck in a fixed mindset, they fail and, and they start making attributions like, oh, well, as this guy was better than me, or I didn't, I didn't do as well as he did. Um, and, and there's no learning from failure. It's a negative experience because they don't believe that they can improve upon themselves. Uh, and so I think figuring out where your mindset is, um, is it, and mindsets can be different in different areas. Is it, is it, are you, but let's talk music, um, it, mindset when it comes to your musical ability or do you have a growth mindset when it comes to your musical ability um there's a there's a book that i recommend to just about everybody that i talk with it's called mindset it's by carol dweck who's a a psychologist it's a it's an easy read it's a it's a quick read um and it really covers mindsets from a myriad of different perspectives um it's been a highly impactful book for me when i'm working with athletes and performers and it's been a highly impactful book on me um when i think about uh, coaching teaching um how do i how do i foster a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset um parenting even it's got it's got great parenting tips in it um uh, you know for people who are who are influential over over other people how do we create um a mindset within others that is more growth oriented than fixed oriented. So great book. Um, and I think highly influential, something that, that some of your, your listeners might want to tap into. Awesome. That's so great. And you know, just the whole, the whole, the, that growth mindset is so important. You know, there's a particular gig, uh, that I've played over the last five or six years and happens to be with, a, with a lot of really talented, um, musicians. And I, you know, kind of this mindset I've developed with it is um, being grateful, first of all, to be there and, and to be, have been playing it all these years. Um, but then second of all, just feeling like, you know, it's sort of a mile marker for me, like uh, not a mile marker, but like a, a marker of, you know, here, here's this one again. It just came around. It, it's, the, it's that time. And how did I do? And, you know, did, did I feel more comfortable? Did I, did it, how did, how did I feel in general about what I did? Not, not so much, not so much, you know, was I the, you know, most badass soloist this time around or was I, mm-hmm. you know, did I impress anybody? You know, cause that's just a destructive mindset. Just you're going to fail. You're going to fail right away. Um, but coming at it more from that, like, you know, did I grow from, you know, last month to this month? I guess that's mm-hmm. kind of the, the handy thing of, for musicians anyways, of having, uh, you know, something that they can come back to on a, with, with a longer period of time, um, which is why right. uh, a couple episodes ago, we talked all about uh, gigs and jam sessions and why you should be doing them and why you should try to be getting involved in them and doing more of that because uh, that's something we all should be doing because at the end of the day, we want to become better jazz musicians. It's all about experience and uh, keeping that mentality that we're talking about for the long haul, you know, keeping that uh, that mentality of, of setting personal records. Now, one thing I want to really quickly talk about, and you talked a little bit about measuring, and that's where, mm. that's where things get really tricky because um, yeah. 
I think I actually talked a little bit about measuring, you know, what I talked about the 80-20 rule in, in last episode and, and how to figure out, you know, what, what's getting your 80% of results. What are the 20% of things that's getting 80% of your results? It's hard to measure those things in music. Whereas if I'm in sales, I can say, well, I can see clearly that we made, you know, this much revenue from this, or like you're saying with the long jump, I can see clearly that, uh, you know, I, you know, went two inches further today, you know, than last mm-hmm. time. So you can really measure right. that. I want to speak to something like music, you know, how do, you know, I know this isn't your, your, uh, this isn't your expertise here, but how can people, what about things that aren't as measurable, like musical growth? Yeah. You know, sometimes we're so involved with what we're doing that we can't really see the progress. Like we're practicing and we're, we're in it. We can't see from the outside. It's kind of like watching a kid grow up. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, if you're around that kid all the time, you can't really tell the kid's getting taller. But then like, you know, an aunt or a cousin or whatever comes over like that's not right. around all the time. It's like, oh my God, the kid grew up. So how do we measure yeah. this sort of thing? Yeah, uh, this is a great question. And this is where, um, again, like track and field, so simple, so easy to have measurement of of different things. Um, and and when, I, when I start thinking about the, the music side um, and how do we start to measure those things, it takes me more into the team sport realm um, from, from my background working in sport. Uh, in team sport, football would be a great example of this. Um, there's still statistics because it's sport. There's statistics all over the place for sport. Um, there's entire industries now based off sports statistics. Um, and so th- those become your measurement tools a lot of the times, right? Um, in, in music and in other performance environments, and, and again, in team sports sometimes as well, the measurement tools become very fuzzy. Uh, what, there's not a number we can necessarily place to it. So one of the ways that, that uh, we we get around that um, is, is by using uh, your own personal perceptions. And so it does take some practice to be able to get good at this. But um, one of the, one goal that a lot of people that I've worked with, athletes um, that I've worked with have, have wanted to do is they, they wanted to improve their effort. Effort is, is something that's really indicative of performance. Um, the, the greater effort you give during training, the greater effort you give um, during a, a, an actual competition or performance uh, is going to enhance your outcomes. And so but how do you measure effort? Um, there's there's no number that you can say d- dictates your effort, um, whether that's in sport or or in music. Uh, and so what uh, what I'll typically suggest is um, get good at self evaluating. So uh, people will oftentimes will use like a Likert type scale from one to ten, uh, one being uh, the least amount of effort you've ever given, and ten being like absolutely one hundred percent effort was dedicated towards this. Um, and, and then you can actually rate yourself on that scale, right? Um, you know what, during my practice session today, it was like a seven, like it was pretty good. Like my effort was there. Uh, but, but I wouldn't classify it, you know, higher than a seven maybe. Right. Um, and you can, that, that make, gives you a measurement tool to be able to, to kind of start to self-reflect and you do have to be honest with yourself on this. Right. Um, and this is where it gets complicated because some people have a tendency to be really hard on themselves and they'll give themselves a much lower number than might actually be true. And some people have a tendency to be really easy on themselves and be like, yeah, well, today was a 10 for sure. Uh, and, and so you do have to hold yourself accountable when you're using a scale like this, but it actually does allow you to then track and keep record of um, a, a potential fuzzy area where you can't necessarily measure something. And so it can even be just general perception of um, – was my performance um, the same, worse, or better 
than my previous performance. Um, that can be kind of – that's more outcome-based. Um, and so it, it's not as specific, but you can use that as a potential measurement, right? Like, yeah, you know what? I do think that uh, today's performance was slightly better than my last one. That's that's a good place to be. Um, and, and focusing on outcomes can be okay. Uh, focusing on more process-oriented things is really critical when we're talking about setting goals and and, and trying to progress. And so I lo- that's why I, I like to go away from – the big picture, the overall thing. It's it's good to have outcome goals. It's good to have those end end related goals and to set numbers associated with them and, and maybe perceptions associated with them. But those the smaller goals, the process oriented things, was my effort level uh, uh, as high as I can possibly get it during my training today. Those are the little goals, the processes that are going to set you up for success when it gets comes down to those big outcome things down the road. Um, oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah, and that's. When I talk about goal setting, those are the biggest two things I talk about, um, outcome versus process goals. Are you focused on the big picture, the long term, um, or or are you focused on the little things, the small things you can improve, the little things that you can be working at? Uh, and I don't think you can do one without the other. They come hand in hand. Uh, if you set only outcome goals – you lose focus. The goal, they're just some mystical, magical thing in the sky that you're shooting for, but you have no path to get there. If you set only process goals, you, you're doing all these little mundane things and tracking little things and improvements, but for what reason? The reason right. is to get to the outcome goal, right? So it's really important to tie outcome goals and process goals together, essentially, so that you have a stair step. The, the stairs are the process goals. That's how you're going to get to the outcome goal at the end. Um, so that's how I, that's from a goal setting perspective where I would take, uh, take that part of the conversation to. I love that. That's, that's amazing stuff there. And you know, one other thing I would add for musicians being a musician here is, uh, if you want to measure some of this stuff, uh, a great idea is to record yourself, um, you know, not not frequent, not too frequently, but like uh, you could record yourself. I would say no more than than once a month. You know, at least once a month, record yourself. You know, at the beginning of the month, record yourself at the end of the month, or maybe every quarter or every three months or whatever you want to do. You can have a longer period of time. You can listen to how you sounded at a particular musical example, and then how did you do at the end of that period, and, and check it out. All right, Matt, I want to thank you so much for being on the show for all the incredible value that you've unloaded on my audience and just taking the time of your day. Is there like one last thing you just want to leave with the audience today just to send them off, just to get them feeling good uh, and, you know, winding down off their workout or their run or their commute, whatever they're at right now? Yeah, um, I, I think what I would say is, um, and, and basically this just wraps it up to what I was saying at the beginning of the show, um, is that focus on your strengths, um, focus on the positive things and, and remember that mental training and training and focusing on things from a mental perspective can be as important, uh, as your physical training, as your, as your physical practice. Um, remember, answer those two questions that I asked at the beginning of the show. Uh, how much of your performance do you think is mental compared to physical and then how much time do you spend practicing mental-related things compared to your physical-related things? And maybe start to incorporate some practice of some mental things. Maybe it's a self-talk script. Maybe it's uh, setting goals and, and being how, holding yourself accountable to those goals. Um, there's a lot of different other things that you could potentially tap into to enhance your mental performance. Um, start to think about maybe there's uh, five minutes a day, maybe it's 20 minutes a week that you want to practice mental training um, to be able to enhance your performance, uh, increase your focus, uh, improve your motivation towards your practicing, um, whatever that may be. Um, that 
would be my 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 thing to think about um, on your commute home or uh, or after your run. Awesome, Matt. Thank you so much for being on the show. We're definitely gonna have you back on again sometime soon. Awesome. Looking forward to it. All right, that's all for today's show. I want to thank you so much for listening. Thanks for tuning in. And man, I really enjoyed that show. I hope you got a lot out of that. It was an honor for me to have my brother on the show and just share so much awesome information. I know I'm going to get uh, a lot about some of the little tips of just, you know, brain training there and just, uh, you know, controlling when those negative thoughts creep in and just ultimately setting us up for musical success here. So thanks again to our special guest, Matt Varstra, for being on the show Now, as I always ask the end of this podcast, I always ask if you enjoyed today's episode, if you would go to iTunes or your favorite podcast listening service and leave a rating and a review. It helps other people find the show, helps show other people that this show is worth listening to, really helps us out. And man, we are coming so close to the big episode 100. We're going to have a big you know, birthday episode month um, in February uh, between episodes 100 and 104. I have a really special guest uh, plan for episode 100. So, you know, next week we're gonna have a great episode as well, but definitely stick in there for episode 100 and for the entire month of February is going to be awesome. So be sure to come back then. Looking forward to seeing you back then on episode 99. Thanks for listening to the LJS podcast. Brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes. And don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask. That's LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.